Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. This is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you are listening to our latest Heartwork series called Becoming a Friend of Allah Lessons from the Life of Prophet Ibrahim. If you benefit from and appreciate the work that we do here at Roots, please consider becoming a sustainer at rootsdfw.orgslash sustain. Your contributions go a very long way in supporting the work that we do. And if you're ever in the Dallas area, please give us the honor of being able to host you. We'll have a cup of coffee for you at Suhba, inshallah and we'll be able to welcome you home in person. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. When I confirm, inshallah, I got you. Assalamu alaikum. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillahi wa ala adihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Welcome home, everybody. It's good to see you, alhamdulillah. It's good to have everybody back. We are, uh, inshallah, going to be continuing in our series called Becoming a Friend of Allah. And, you know, the hope, I didn't just title that because it sounded nice. I hope and we pray that inshallah this class gives us an opportunity to really think about not just the not just the example that we read about but how we can act like friends of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that we can build that relationship. You know whenever there's somebody that you want to become close to you try to live your life in a way that would be conducive to you being close to them. And so we are going through as many of the passages as we can of the story of Sayyidina Ibrahim salam, so that we can what? So that we can model and replicate, even if it's not 100%, right? Even if it's not exactly and to that degree, but that we can extract some benefit for ourselves internally, okay? So whatever it is that you're going through, you might not be thrown into a pit of fire, but you can definitely remain trusting of Allah in a situation that might be difficult, even if it's not as bad as that. Right? Or it might feel like that. And you have to remind yourself of this. So the Quran, when Allah Ta'ala talked about why he revealed these stories to the Prophet, وسلم, especially in the way that he did, he says, So that maybe the reason why this Quran was revealed in this way is so that we can make what? Your heart strong. We can make your heart strong. The goal of this book is to strengthen your heart. That's why we call this session heart work. Because we hope that by the end of this series or the end of each session, you walk away and your heart is just a little bit stronger to handle whatever it is that this dunya has for you, right? And so this story of Ibrahim is one that we hope, inshallah, can be an inspiration to us. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make it like that. Ameen. But tonight we're going to learn a couple things that might be holding us back. And it's actually, subhanAllah, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a really, really it's jam-packed. If you came tonight, you're going to get a good meal, inshallah. Although it always is, but there's a lot. There's a lot tonight. So last week we spoke about the uh, uh, Ibrahim, salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describing. Let me, let me go back a little bit and um, go to the other, the ayat that we talked about. Okay, so Allah Ta'ala, He describes the, His sacred house and He says, That this house, the, the Kaaba, okay, is a place that is Mathaba for all people. Mathaba we talked about means a couple things. Number one is that literally it just means a place that is returned to often. It's returned to frequently. People go there time and time again. So we talked about this, and I asked everyone to raise their hand if they've been for Hajj or Umrah. 
and many people did, but I wanted to also say that it should be part of our aspiration to go to Umrah, to go to Hajj. And even if you can't go to Hajj, I actually recommend this for people. If you can't go to Hajj, do not delay going to Umrah if you can. And most people who go for Hajj, if they've gone for Umrah before, their Hajj is like exponentially more high in quality because they're familiar with the layout of the, of the land because Umrah is basically a big portion of Hajj, right? But that aside, right? So number one is that the Kaaba itself, Mecca itself is a place that it, it, it fulfills a person. It gives you a feeling of satiation and gratification that no other place can. Imagine the best vacation you've ever had, right? It still didn't have al-bake, okay? It still didn't have halal McDonald's there right in front of the masjid. The, the best vacation you ever had, you cannot compare what that did for you, right? The rejuvenation, of course, the you know, re-energizing, you came back feeling fresh. It cannot do for you one, one millionth of what Umrah would do for you. And so we ask Allah Ta'ala to invite us. The other point was that every bait or every house of Allah known as the masjid, all of the buyuts of Allah, the houses of Allah, are also in some way, shape or form designed to serve this purpose. So you may not be able to go to Umrah tomorrow, but how long has it been since you've willingly on your own gone to the masjid, not because there was a program, and not because it was Jummah, right? Everyone's like, Fridays, no, eh, wrong. When have you gone for yourself to go, just like people go and they get massages, right? They go get pedicures, they go to the gym. When have you taken time to go and look up when Maghrib is, right? It's when the sun sets, okay, dad joke, right? When Maghrib is, when Isha is, or stopping there on your way home, right? Or taking your lunch break there, or whatever, looking up where your nearest masjid is and using that time to reconnect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then, and then we wonder and we ask, like, why do I feel so distant? Well, when you haven't gone to your friend's house in a long time, don't you feel distant? When you haven't read, if you, if you left a, a, a thread of messages unread on your iPhone, or, you know, for those of you who have Android, may Allah forgive you. <laughs> but your iPhone, if you left it unread and you just had that red indicator doesn't that give you anxiety? Haven't they trained us well, <laughs> right? If you left it unread, isn't it one of those things that just kind of makes you feel distant from this person? Or if they leave you unread? Now imagine how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, of course, he doesn't feel like we feel. But imagine the state of the relationship a person has with Allah when the Quran has dust on it. it has dust on it. Like when you pick it up off the shelf, like you have to blow it off. Ramadan is coming, Right? How about, we, how about we decide that we're going to be intentionally Muslim? That we're going to try to commit to communicating with Allah and getting this wisdom. Everyone always says Islam has solutions for all the problems, but those solutions are in a book. They're in the Quran, right? And there's no better time to commit to that than to visiting the house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So leave tonight with a commitment. First commitment is to what? Commit to the book of Allah. Number two, commit to visiting him once in a while. Go to his house, sit, right? Pick a place in the masjid where you can connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way that would give you sakina and give you that tranquility, okay? So at the end of that ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then describes and he says, He says that take from the place of Ibrahim as a place of prayer. This is when you go visit the haram in Mecca, when you visit the masjid, 
in Mecca, you see that there is a place that has been designated, memorialized as a maqam of where Ibrahim uh, 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 would pray. And where actually even he did the work of building the Kaaba, which we're going to talk about uh, today. Okay? And this entire activity was done. Why? And tahira it was done for the purpose of people being able to go there and devote themselves and worship. We said that it's the only place on earth where if you show up with no plan, you're great, you're good. Because all you do is wait for the adhan, the beautiful call to prayer. You leave your hotel, you walk to the haram, you go, you follow the crowd, you pray, you reflect. You leave, and at the end of that day, you prayed your five prayers, you feel the most fulfilled. May Allah Ta'ala invite us. It's truly one of a kind. وَإِذْ قَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمُ رَبِّ جِعَلْ هَذَا بَلَدَ آمِنًا وَارْزُقْ أَهْلَهُ مِنَ الثَّمَرَاتِ He says, remember when Ibrahim said, Oh my Lord, make this place a place that is secure and that provides its people with fruits. It gives benefits and provision. That especially and only for those who believe in Allah and believe in the Day of Judgment. So we said that Ibrahim made this dua and he in his dua, he's processing this entire spiritual moment as what? That the people who are believers will be the only ones who have goodness. Right? They'll get the provisions. They'll be the ones who are secure. But then Allah Ta'ala, he says that no... That's not the way that this life works. If a person believes or doesn't believe, that does not necessarily eliminate whether or not a person will experience benefit or happiness or provision. That's not the indication. And it's interesting that Allah is preparing Ibrahim for this because when you look down the line of Ibrahim, you see that some people, even from his own progeny, end up not believing in Allah. Isn't that interesting? And so Ibrahim is, 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 is saying in his dua, almost like so sincerely to Allah that, Oh Allah, reward those who are only those who believe in you and believe in the last day, as if to say that there's a direct correlation there. But that's not the case. And the reality is that Ibrahim is being taught here by Allah, by our Rabb, that your provision, your money, your wealth, whatever it might be, is not commensurate to your faith. Those are two different things. And you will meet people that will have all the wealth in the world, but they won't have Allah in their life. And they will feel that void. You'll meet people who have nothing to their name, but they have Allah, and they will make you feel humble by how secure they are. Like the guy in Medina that I met, that he asked me, if, you know, he goes, where are you from? I said, America. And he looked at me and he laughed at me. He laughed at me. Because I asked him when I was walking by him, I said, do you have, can, you know, uh, uh, can I get you anything? Because he was sitting there in a humble, you know, outfit on a card, on a piece of cardboard. It was very clear that he was in need of help financially. So as like a, you know, guy who's doing Umrah, visiting the city of the Prophet, I said, let me do this good deed. I go up to him and I say, and I said it very politely. I wasn't like a tourist. I was like, hey, film this, film this. No, no, I didn't do that, right? Right? Giant white man takes care of men in Medina. Clickbait. I didn't do that. I just went to him and I said, you know, Ya Ammi, like, haja. Like, is there any need that I can fulfill for you? Please let me get some, let me, let me, let, let us, let me get us some food together. And he looks at me, he goes, Where are you from? Because he heard my Arabic 
And I said, I'm American. He started laughing. And he goes, you're the needy one. And I looked and he goes, because I live here. And he pointed at the Green Dome. And he goes, you come here for a few days. He said, literally, you're here for a few days. He says, you're here a very short amount of time. He says, Anna, I live here. And he pointed at the Green Dome. He goes, I visit him every day. And I started crying because he was right. How dare I think that I was better off than him? Not, not that I was better than him, but better off than him. What does money mean at that point? What does money mean, man? There are, you know, I'll tell you this little secret for those of you who have gone to Medina. And, and you have to admit it. You don't have to say yes, but you have to admit it. When you visit Medina and Mecca, when you go to Umrah, you visit the Prophet ﷺ in Medina, you have a really, really interesting thought. I'm not going to call it intrusive because that has like a negative connotation. You have like a very interesting thought as you're walking back. Maybe it's Dhuhr, maybe it's Asr, maybe it's Isha, who knows? Fajr. And you walk back and you're like, what if I just, what if I just sold everything and just moved here? And you think about that. You're like, what, how much do you think it costs to buy a place? You're like, I could probably pass a Saudi. I got a white thobe. You know, I'll be someone's butler. You know, like, I don't know. Like, you figure it out. You start to have these thoughts. Like, is America that great, right? This and that, inflation. I don't want to, they don't even have a bake. You know, you just start to have these thoughts. And wallahi, that is part of the barakah of that place. And he was right. He was right. SubhanAllah. So what Ibrahim السلام, he's saying here to Allah is that maybe only those people who believe in you will get good. And Allah Ta'ala says, well, they'll have faith, which is good enough, but there will be some people that won't believe. And Allah says, فَأُمَتِّرْهُ قَلِيلًا I will let them play for a little bit. They'll be able to live this life. They'll be able to get what they want. But don't let that confuse you. Don't let that confuse you. Why? Because he says, He says, after this short amount of time that they're here, he says, afterwards, if they neglect their relationship with me, they're going to end up in a very, very bad place. May Allah protect us. And you know what's interesting is like, when you look at the afterlife, it's, inf it's infinite, right? It's never ending. And so any number over infinity equals what? Zero. Right? It's zero. It's infinite. Meaning that it's, it's zero. The, the amount relative to infinity is irrelevant because it doesn't matter if it's 100 years. It doesn't matter if it's 50 years. When you compare it to eternity, it means nothing. So if you're a person who believes in Allah and you have difficulty in this life, when you compare it to eternity, it will feel like nothing. And that's why on the Day of Judgment, the person who went through such difficulty, but they get Jannah, They'll be asked, the hadith tells us, they'll be asked, how was your life? They'll have the worst life. They'll be asked, how was your life in that world? And they'll say, it was great. It was great because they can't even fathom. They can't even think straight anymore. You know, like if you had a horrible day of travel, cancel flights, delay flights, middle seat, right? Just sounds like an average day. I'm not going to say the airlines, but it sounds like an average day, right? You go. You get to your hotel, it's beautiful. People are like, how was your trip? You're like, it was good. You forgot about the whole process. Because why? Because the arrival was worth it. And then the hadith says that for someone who had every treasure in this life, but they're going to be dipped in the hellfire just once briefly. 
First person was dipped in Jannah, briefly. I had no pain. Put me back. The person in Hellfire, after living Newport Beach, house on the beach, $40 million, every car they could think of, everything. They'll be dipped in the Hellfire for just a second. They'll be pulled out and say, how was your life? And they'll say, I never experienced anything good. I never had a single good thing. Why? Because the destination determines what the journey was. So Ibrahim is saying, well, maybe they're together. Allah is saying, no, the destination will matter more than the journey. Don't worry about it. You've been tested here. That's okay. Where's your destination? Allah Ta'ala give us Jannah. The next ayah. وَإِذْ يَرْفَعُ إِبْرَاهِيمُ الْقَوَائِدَ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ وَإِسْمَعِيلُ That Ibrahim and his son, we talked about this, like the best father-son bonding experience you can imagine, right? Building, raising the foundations of the Kaaba together. Raising the foundations, why? Because we believe that the Kaaba was actually constructed during the time of Adam originally, of some form of it, not the one that we have today. It was rebuilt many different times, but always on the same foundation. And that's kind of its own story for later. Although the foundation does have one small edit today than it did from the time of Ibrahim. Anyone know what that edit is? Huh? Hajar Aswad? Kind of. Hajar Ismail? The half circle? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's a cube now. The Kaaba is a cube. It used to be more rectangular, and it used to have like a dome shape on the top, like a little curve, okay? The Kaaba used to be longer and have a curve shape on the top, okay? Now listen to this story. One day, the Prophet ﷺ was sitting in front, and he was looking at the Kaaba and its current structure as a cube. And his wife was next to him, Aisha radiallahu anha. And his wife, you know, they're speaking to each other, and he says, you know, he says, I had an idea. If it weren't for the fact that your people, he's talking about Quraysh, right? The, the people of Mecca. If it wasn't for the fact that your people were still so new on Islam, he goes, I would actually brick by brick take the Kaaba apart and I would rebuild it upon its original foundations. But he said, I'm not going to do that because could you imagine what it would do to like the heart, especially of a brand new Muslim, but really just anybody to see the Kaaba being pulled apart brick by brick? I mean, when there's people there, and they're like cleaning it, and they put like a ladder next to it, you're like, that doesn't look right. You're like, get that ladder out of here, right? Because it's so beautiful, it's so magnetic just on its own, that if anyone comes near it with anything, right, they have to clean it, they have to take care of it, they spray it with perfume, they do all this, you're just like, move, right? You're like the Daisy Wedding photographer, you're like, out of the way. Because you're just like, it's so perfect by itself, right? So the Prophet Sallallahu is saying that it's, the way that people feel about it is so attached that if it weren't that way, if they could handle it, I would actually rebuild it upon those foundations. So the circle in front of it, the half circle in front of it, is called the Hijr of Ismail. And that's where if you pray in it, it's said that it's as if you're praying inside of the Kaaba because that was the original foundation of it. So this was the project that Ibrahim and Ismail did together. This was how they connected, how they bonded. This was their legacy. Now, after doing this, how do you guys feel after you do a good deed? Anybody? Let's say you woke up for Fajr, mashallah, you prayed to Hajjud, you fasted, you gave some charity. How do you feel? How do you feel about yourself? Great, good. See, I like that. It's good. The Prophet ﷺ, he said that, إِذَا صَرَّتْكَ حَسْنَتُكَ وَسَأَتْكَ سَيُؤَتُكَ فَأَنْتَ مُؤْمِنٌ 
He said, if you feel happy with your good deeds and you feel sad at your sins, then you're a believer. Part of belief is that you should feel good when you do good, right? But there's one little like footnote to feeling good. What does it mean to feel good? You always carry with yourself. You can talk, you can, you can, you can replay it in your mind. You're like, man, watch your own highlight reel that day. Like, that will do it was flawless. You know, you even use miswak, bonus points for me. You go through the whole day, and you and you know what? This is called muhasaba. It's actually good. At the end of your day, you should go through your day and figure out what went right and what went wrong. And that's how you improve. That's how you get better. You should never, ever, the Prophet Sallallahu said what? He said, do not diminish any good. No person should look at the good that they did and say, it's, eh, it's nothing. It's not enough. We don't believe in that. The Prophet Sallallahu said, celebrate your wins. Right? If you got a dub today, say Alhamdulillah. It's good. Right? However, the one caveat that I'll share with you. And this is, again, every spiritual conversation has two sides to the coin. Every single one. Listen to what they said. After building the Kaaba. No offense to you. I know you prayed today. But you didn't build the Kaaba. Okay? No offense to anybody. Rabbana, taqabbal minna. Oh Allah, please accept this from us. When do you ask someone to accept something from you? When do you make that request? Huh? How, do you, how are you feeling when you're asking for someone to accept them? Are you, are you confident? No, right? You're a little bit like, mm. you're, you're kind of like, I, I hope. That's why you're asking. If you think someone for sure is going to accept this from you, right? Like my daughter today, she painted something for us. And she goes, hey, this is for you. She didn't say accept it. If you, if my daughter doesn't ask for acceptance, right? Otherwise, you ask for mercy from her, right? She put it on the table and she goes, this is for you. And then you have like a millisecond before you have to say amazing, so beautiful. Oh, my goodness. And then my wife and I are secretly looking. She's like, what is it? I love how you did this pink, this pink moon. She goes, that's cotton candy. I was like, yeah, yeah, the moon-shaped cotton candy. And she looks at me all like, you know, incredulous. She's like, this guy doesn't get it, right? A person who is confident doesn't ask, doesn't ask, do you like this, right? Do you accept it? That, the confidence speaks for itself. So Ibrahim and Ismail, don't get me wrong, they're prophets of God, but when it comes to doing anything for Allah, listen, this is so important. You have certainty that Allah will accept. You do. But your relationship is so important that you need to make sure. It's like when you cook something for somebody and they're eating it and they say, oh my God, this is so good. Or you buy someone a gift. And it's like buy someone a nice piece of clothing. They open it, they look at it, they say, this is, um, this is exactly what I like. Even after they say that, what do you say? Do you like it? Is it good? Why? Be not because you doubt them. Ismail Ibrahim don't doubt Allah's acceptance, but they know that their relationship with him is so important that they just want to reaffirm it. They just need to have that sakina. They don't doubt it. They didn't build the Kaaba and they're like, I don't know. It's kind of, you know, like, 
I don't know if we did a good job. They just said, oh Allah, this is so important to us. Please accept this from us. There's that humility there. And if a person doesn't have that humility, then it actually destroys their whole action. Let me tell you about the Prophet Wasallam. It's a scary hadith. But he, there's a narration that in which the Prophet ﷺ said that there was a man who came to the masjid and in front of the Prophet ﷺ, this is so interesting to me by the way because I want you guys to put yourself in that position. You show up at the masjid and the Prophet ﷺ is there. Like what are you doing the whole time? You walk in, you're like, Allahumma. you're like, wrong. No, you're not in the haram. Don't say that, right? What do you do? You're just overwhelmed. Would any of you rush your prayer? Would any of No. No. So it's so interesting because you think back on these narrations and you realize how human these people were. There's a man who comes to the Prophet Sallallahu Masjid and says, وَلَا He didn't complete his ruku's or his sujuds. You know what that means? It doesn't mean that he didn't do them, but what does it mean? Prayed super fast. Prayed really fast. The Prophet ﷺ, when the man left, or when he finished, he said, لَوْ مَاتَ هَذَا عَلَىٰ حَالِهِ مَاتَ عَلَىٰ غَيْرِ مِلَّةِ مُحَمَّدٍ This is really strong. He said, if that guy dies right now, like he is after that, he's not on what He's not on what we are on. Basically saying like, I don't know what that was. I don't know what that was. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he told the man, he said, when you pray like this, you're coming to prayer. Allah is going to give you whatever you ask for. Why are you rushing it? Why are you speeding through this? You don't speed through your favorite song. Right? All you Swifties. Now you listen to Taylor and you watch Chiefs games. Okay? May Allah help us. You don't speed through your... If, listen, if you've been savoring something, you don't speed through that. You don't skip through the things that you want to do. So why do you speed through Salah? And the example he gave was so incredible. He said, he said, when you do that, the person, the example, the person who does not complete their raku and they speed through their sujood, he said, He said, it's just like seeing a person who is so hungry, starving, and they haven't eaten all day. And they have this massive feast in front of them. And all they eat is one date, maybe two. You have everything you want in front of you. You haven't eaten a single bite all day. You have this massive feast and all you have is one date. What's the issue? The Prophet is saying that all deeds are done, but not every deed is accepted. And he said, subhanAllah, that there will be times when a person prays and all they'll get is one-tenth of that prayer. Or two-tenths. Or three-tenths. I see some faces. They're like, I thought this is hard work, not heartbreak. But let me share with you something. 
The acceptance of your prayer is not related to the length of your prayer. This is a very important point. The acceptance of your prayer does not get higher the longer that you pray. In fact, some companions said that we used to actually shorten our prayers slightly compared to the Prophet ﷺ. We would shorten them so that we could what? Maintain quality in them. So what's the key here? It's not about how long you pray. It's about how well you pray. This guy wasn't speeding through his prayer because he wasn't praying. He was clearly thinking about what? Something else. How many of you have ever had the embarrassing moment where you couldn't remember what rakah you were in? Or what prayer you were in? Or what year it was? Right? That's embarrassing. And you know what? It's important to learn from those lessons of embarrassment that how can I be so easily distracted during what is the most important conversation that I can have right now? I'm thinking about stuff that's going to solve problems in my life and I'm ignoring the solver of the problem. I'm trying to figure out how to come up with a solution, but the one who's going to open the door for me, I'm supposed to be praying to him. And so the Prophet Sallallahu said, don't be the person who's sitting there and you're starving. You need food and all you have is one date. He says, go to prayer hungry and feast. Feast. Eat all you can in that prayer. Talk to Allah as much as you can. Don't run through it. How do you feel when you pick up the phone of a close friend after a long time? You say, hey, how's it going? They say, hey, I only have two seconds to talk to you right now. You're like, man... Yeah, I missed you too. But we show up to the prayer and we even say it verbally. I'll never, ever let go of this. When we're trying to tell someone that we have to pray before we go, we say, let me just pray real quick. Let me just pray real quick. What we can say is, let me pray first. But if we program ourselves, let me just pray real quick. Let me just get my prayer done. Do we ever say that about things we love? Yo, let me just eat this cheesecake real quick. Unless it's gain season, no one's saying it like that. Let me just finish my ribeye real quick. Let me just finish this burger fast. No, you enjoy the moments you enjoy and you let it be known that you're enjoying them. But if we speak about prayer like this, then we have to ask ourselves, do we really enjoy it? May Allah Ta'ala give us enjoyment of prayer. And this is really what Ibrahim is teaching us. One of the tafsirs that I was reading said beautifully, says that it's important that even though you're not building the Kaaba, he says, Islam. says, you're not building the Kaaba, but everybody here needs to build Islam in their hearts. The foundations of it. And he said, for example, you need to think about the statement, La ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, and ask yourself, what is the meaning of that to me? What is the meaning of that to me? Do I really represent this statement? He says, And perfecting your prayer, both internally and externally. Don't rush through it. Don't pray in a position where you're going to be distracted. Man, I know some brothers who pray during football games, during the commercials, facing the TV. With the TV on. That's the only maghrib I've seen with one raka in my life. SubhanAllah, don't put yourself in a position where you're distracted. 
don't leave your prayers till the end because you're never going to be able to focus. So he says, do your prayers with perfection. He says, when you give zakat, don't give zakat mindlessly. You guys give charity, alhamdulillah. People give charity, it's good. Savor the moment. Feast on the deed. Enjoy it. You give, don't, it's not about saying, look at me. It's about saying, Allah blessed me to be able to help someone. Can you imagine? You know when you give zakat, one of my teachers said the most beautiful phrase. You ready for this? When you give zakat, Allah made you an answer to someone's dua. When you give charity, Allah made you. How special, right? How special should you feel when you donate something that you were the answer to that child's prayer? They were begging for warmth and clothes and food. And Allah put it in your heart. Now you're the answer to their prayer. And on the day of judgment, you meet them. And they thank you and you say, no, thank you. Aisha radiallahu anha, she would perfume her coins before she donated to them because she said these coins they go through Allah before they get to the person it's not about the person it's about what it does for the person who's giving it so he said perfect your sadaqah perfect your zakat he said perfect your fasting don't sleep all day while you fast don't ruin your fast with back you know Ramadan is less than six months away y'all Allah allow us to reach it we're almost there we're almost there I need another Ramadan I don't know about you I need another Ramadan Right? So, okay, there we go. It's like that. I feel like Oprah right now. Okay, so Ramadan, he said, when you're, you know, and I'll tell you something. In Ramadan, I'm going to go over this in Ramadan in February. I'm, I, I want to I make a pledge, and I want you to sign on with this pledge. No more slow-release caffeine pills. No, 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 listen to why. You can laugh, but listen. No more chia seeds for suhoor. No more high-fiber suhoors that keep you, quote-unquote, full all day. If you're trying to run away from the difficulty, you're not getting the full benefit of the fast. You got to feel it. You got to feel it. People are, like, scheming. Man, I was doing ittikaf one year, last 10 nights. And for, for breakfast, I want you guys to understand this. For breakfast, the people who donated the breakfast brought in by the request of the uncles, Nihari and Nan. Do you know what Nihari is? If you don't, I can't explain it. There are some things, words. Nihari is just a giant chunk of meat swimming in oil. Swimming, okay? There is no other way to describe it. Their idea of having vegetables with this dish is one sliver of ginger on top. And a leaf of parsley drowning in the oil like a bug that didn't make it. And they are pounding this Nihari. I mean, these uncles, subhanAllah, are like Olympic athletes at this. And I remember asking them, I wallahi, I can't, okay, I'll say where. It was in my mission in Chicago Islam Foundation when I was in college. <laughs> and I remember asking them, what are you doing? What are you doing? And the uncle laid it out for me perfectly. He said, we're going to eat right now. Pound it. We're going to pray Fajr. We're going to sleep. No, he goes, we're gonna, he did say, we're going to stay awake till the sun rises. Then we're going to pray our shuruq. And then we're going to go to sleep. We're going to sleep till dhuhr. We're going to wake up, pray dhuhr. We're going to sleep till asr. We're going to wake up. And then we're going to get ready for iftar. And you know, like, it's funny, we're joking. But you know what, subhanAllah? This is what he's talking about. 
how can a person who, and no offense to the uncle, you know, he probably has 70 or more Ramadans where he perfected it. Let him enjoy, man. He might not even have to fast at this point. His health probably, you know, like, it's, it, like let him enjoy it. Okay? But he might be ma'adur. He might be excused. But what I'm saying is, how can a person really feel the benefit of fasting if they are constantly thinking about nothing but when they break their fast? Embrace it. Feel the emptiness in the pit of your stomach. Okay? Hajj. <laughs> Hajj is amazing. In part because people get upset with the funniest things. And that's why Allah Ta'ala says, Wala rafatha, wala fusuqa, wala jidala fil hajj. Hajj is about controlling your inner. People think Hajj is about getting on a plane, going and doing this. That. Hajj is about controlling who you are on the inside. Ibrahim, if anybody knows what Hajj is, is Prophet Ibrahim and his son Ismail. So they said, Rabbana taqabal minna. Don't just worry about doing the deed, worry about getting the deed accepted. Ask yourself when you're done with prayer, is that a prayer that Allah would accept from me? Because if it's not, why did I just waste my three minutes? Why did I just do that? I may as well, if I'm going to spend the time, if I'm going to spend three, four minutes praying, I may as well do it with the quality that Allah would accept. May Allah Ta'ala accept from us. Then he says, إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ You are the one who hears and you are the one who knows. And one of the scholars said, what? Because Allah hears everything, but he also knows what's in your heart. So I could line up and say, Allahu Akbar, and Allah hears that. But in my heart, I'm like, what's for dinner? And I'm going through the menu. When does Noodle Wave close? How, which one should I order, Carrollton or Frisco? What's the post move, right? And then I'm like, Ameen. And then I hear the Imam recite, Allah, oh, Allah, catch myself. Allah knows exactly that that heart was lost. In almond sriracha chicken. That heart was gone. Even though he heard the takbirat of me, he knew my heart was not present. And you know what the most hurtful thing is, subhanAllah, is when you're talking to somebody and you finish saying something that's really, really important to you and they look up and they say, what? <laughs> you know, we feel so sorry for ourselves when we're ignored, but we ignore Allah at will. And maybe we have to ask ourselves, honestly, maybe we have to ask ourselves, when is the last time I gave Allah the respect that I think I deserve? And we should give him more. We should give him much more. Right? Rabbana, waja'alna. He says, oh Allah, make us muslimaini lak. Make us those who submit to you. Women dhurriyatina ummatan muslimatan lak. And from my progeny, make them those that submit to you. And show us the rituals of Hajj specifically, but also in general. And turn towards us in forgiveness. This ayah, we're going to go through it. This will be the end for tonight. But this ayah is so powerful. You ready for this? He is saying something so beautiful. There is no doubt that Ibrahim, after all he's been through, let's not forget, some scholars say that the sacrifice of Ismail happened before this. Some say it happened after this. Okay? But let's not forget that they went through a lot for the sake of Allah together. Okay? And there is no doubt that they both have submission and faith in Allah. I was reading on this ayah, 
and I've actually like read on this before and I've thought about this concept before and I've come across a beautiful explanation of this. There are two forms of submission that every person experiences. The first kind of submission in your relationship with Allah is the first state where you come to Allah. And usually, one of the scholars wrote this, this is unwilling submission. Meaning what? Most people first turn to Allah when they are hit with a trial. They didn't show up because they wanted to. They showed up because they had to. Something was not going right. Their plans were not being followed. I didn't get in. She said no. He said no. I've been let go. And I've gone through all these procedures on how to solve this and none of them are happening. So I'm going to go to Allah. The scholars say that this is one of the wisdoms why bad things happen. Because Allah, in His mercy, allows you to make choices and decisions. But because of your choices and decisions, you start to drift away like a boat that's not anchored. But just before you're about to leave His reach, He puts a difficult moment in your path. And that moment shocks you. And it absolutely just rattles you. And you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know what to do. I have to go back to Allah. I'm going to return back to my faith. That's the first stage of submission. Okay? There's a story that I'll tell you about a companion. His name is Thumama. Thumama is a very interesting person. He's a tribal leader of one of the enemies of the tribes of the Prophet or one of the enemy, the enemy tribes of the Prophet He's their leader and he wants nothing more than to reject the Prophet and in fact he goes above and beyond. He wants to actually even kill the Prophet And in his rage about the Prophet's life and the Prophet wrote a letter to him inviting or he had a letter written I should say because he, he, he wasn't able to write himself but he had a letter written to Thumama Thumama was so upset that this was being proposed to him that he said, you know what, I'm going to go there myself and I'm going to kill him myself. And he actually, in this rage, ended up killing some of the companions of the Prophet One day he was traveling, Thumama himself was traveling, and he was crossing the region of where Medina was. The companions saw him, and they would, you know, just like if you cross any border... There's like a border check, right? So you're crossing through a city. The, the people who are assigned to defend that city, they check. Like, who is this person? So they went up to him. And they said, who are you? And he didn't respond right away. So they apprehended him and took him in. They didn't hurt him. They just took him in. Said, until you tell us who you are and what business you have crossing through our town. You know, we got families here. We have kids here. Like, we're not going to let you just some strange group of people come through with their leader. So they capture this guy, Thumama. And they take him and they tie him to one of the pillars in the masjid. Can you imagine that prison? You're being tied in Masjid Nabawi, in the Rauda. Now, how many thousands of people every day line up to enter that exact spot? But Thumama had to be brought there in handcuffs. The first stage of submission is unwilling. He was brought there. Prophet ﷺ recognizes him. He says, What's going on, man? It's kind of awkward. <laughs> right? Sent you a letter. You said no. You want to kill me? Here we are. 
So Mama, you know, he responds to the Prophet ﷺ in a way that's very interesting. He basically, at first, kind of gives him a little bit of like a rejective, like silent treatment. The Prophet ﷺ is very smart and he's very kind. So he tells his companions, I want you to get him some delicious food and something to drink. Don't starve him. That's not how the Muslims work. We take care of people even if they want to hurt us. If they're not, in, if they're not going to cause us danger, give him some food. They brought him food and drink. He ate. The Prophet ﷺ left him for a whole day. So I'm not going to come back. Let's give him some time. Comes back the next day. Says, What's going on? Thumama says, I don't want to answer. Says, okay, give him some food again. They repeat the treatment. Room service, right? It's nice. Comes back the third day. Come on now. Are we going to do this every day? All right, you want to try the whole menu? Or are you just going to give me my answer? Thumama says to the Prophet ﷺ, he basically in summary says that if you kill me, he goes, if you let me go, I will be grateful to you. I, I will, you know, game recognize game. You let me go, I'll be grateful. So if you kill me, my blood is very valuable, which is the Arabic way in the time of him saying, my tribe's not going to let me die in vain. If you kill me, you're going to start a war. And then he says, but I'm not going to beg. Like, that's just, those are the, those are the options you got. Prophet Sosam looks at him, he smiles, and he tells his companions, untie him, let him go. They untie Thumama, they let him go. Thumama goes on the outskirts of Medina. He has a moment. Comes back. <laughs> it wasn't the food. He says, yeah, Muhammad. Yes, I'm crying. Someone's whispering, he's crying. I am. <laughs> he says, yeah, Muhammad, wallahi ma kana ala al-ard. He says, <clears throat> There's not a single person on this earth. There was not a single person on the face of this earth that their face was more hated to me than your face. This morning I woke up. For some reason I woke up and your face was the most beloved sight to me. And he said, <clears throat> Wallahi, ma kana min deen ala al-ard abghada min deenika. This religion was the most hated thing to me. Fa asbaha wa deenika ahabba deen ilayya. This religion became the most beautiful religion to me because think about it, he's in the masjid, what is he seeing? He's seeing people pray. He's seeing the brothers saying salam. He's seeing the families come in to worship together. He's witnessing Muslims. And then he says that, I bear witness. La ilaha illallah wa Muhammad Rasulullah. See, the first step of submission is always unwilling. You're going to be brought to Allah whether or not you want. If you want it, it's easier. If you don't, it's going to happen. Because life is designed to put you through trials and tests and break you until you realize what your purpose is. And in that moment, the second step that the scholars say 
is that you have to then come to terms and tell yourself the honest truth. Everyone here is going to have that moment with Allah. I know I need to be better. I know that. What my parents taught me, what my grandparents taught me, what I've learned, what I know that I have to do. I know I have to live that way. Is now the time or is it not? When Thumama left, he was gone, by the way. The Prophet didn't have trailers on him. There was nothing. He had that moment when he left Medina. And then they say the third step, which is the second submission, is willing submission. That they come back wanting to come back to Allah. Fajr is no longer a burden, it's a blessing. You no longer hate hearing the adhan, you love it. Charity is not some annoying thing to ask for. Now it's like people are texting you, hey, do you want to contribute? And you're like, yes, please. Fasting is no longer just, Ramadan is no longer just a time where you're going to lose all your gains and you're going to be tired, right? One of the biggest things to me, every Muslim needs to adopt this, is that when people ask you at work or school about Ramadan, do not say, ugh, yeah, here come the headaches. You're a headache. Don't say that about Ramadan, man, because then everyone who doesn't know anything else thinks that it's what? Torture. It's the worst. Why do we have to do it? Right? Approach the explanation of that time, not with hatred or annoyance, but with love and reverence. Treat Ramadan on the first night like you cry about it on the last night. Tell your friends and coworkers that that's what it's about. Sure, it's hard. Look, we all struggle. But if you address it like that, what else can they say besides this must be the worst thing ever? Right? And then you come back to Allah. The same story, subhanAllah, happened with another person, Fudala. And I'll end with this story. I'm sorry, I know I have, I know I said I was, I lie. I'm sorry, I lied. Fudala is one of the people of Quraysh. And after the Feth of Mecca, he was coming. He basically wanted to do the bidding of Quraysh and have his last chance at potentially, he maybe can't stop the Muslims and their, and their dominance and their, you know, their acceptance and their, and their openness now to Mecca and their ability to make Umrah. But he was like, let me just take one last shot at the Prophet One last assassination attempt. But he did it in a really sneaky way. He pretended to be Muslim. So all the Muslims are making tawaf. And they're wearing their clothes. And Fudala is narrating this hadith, this narration. It's in Ibn Hisham. And he says that Fudala was walking and he had a dagger under his shirt. And he said, I was coming closer and closer. You know, tawaf is in circles. And he goes, I was making circles, getting closer and closer to where I saw the Prophet Sallallahu and I targeted him, and I made him my object of, of, of where I was going to go, and I just started circling closer and closer and closer until I got right next to him. And he said, I was holding the dagger under my shirt, and I was telling myself, you know when people hype themselves up to do something? He was like, I was telling myself, like, now is the time. Do it. Now is the time. And he said, and just as I was about to lift my hand out from my shirt and attack the Prophet Wasallam." He said, Afudala anta? I heard someone say, Are you Fudala? 
I looked up and I see the face of the Prophet Sallallahu And he says, Na'am, I'm Fudala Ya Rasulullah. Because remember, he's pretending to be what? Muslim. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says, <laughs> What were you saying to yourself right now? What were you thinking? Fudala says, I was shocked. He says, La shay. Kuntu Allah. Ya Rasulullah. I was just remembering Allah. Prophet looked at him, he nodded, Fadahika, he laughed. And he says, Thumma qala, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah Seek repentance. Thumma wada'a yadahu ala sadri. The Prophet took his hand. Remember, he has a dagger under this part. He puts his hand over his chest, or a dagger on this side, he puts his hand over his heart. And he says, he placed his hand there, He said, I felt my heart at ease. He didn't raise his hand, except that there was no one on earth that I loved more than him. And the Prophet him, he smiled. And he said, Assalamu alaikum, Fudala. Fudala left. And the Fudala went back to his wife. He said, You're not going to believe what just happened. <laughs> he goes, You know the plan that I had to go and I was there and I was just about to do it, pull the trigger, right? You know, figuratively. And he said, And this whole thing happened. And his wife was shocked as well. And she said, have you told anyone this? And he goes, no. And so he went and he told his father and his tribe that this is what happened and he called them to Islam. The point of tonight, and I have to end here. Yeah, I have to end here. The point of tonight is this. Your submission to Allah will come in stages. The first is one that is most challenging. And then you decide. When you decide and you make that submission now a willing choice, you have now gone from being simply someone who submits to Allah to someone who's a friend of Allah. And that's what Ibrahim was. That's why in a couple ayahs, I have to say it, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert. If qala lahu rabbuhu aslim, Allah said to him, Ya Ibrahim, submit. And what did he say? Qala, aslamtu li rabbil alameen. I've submitted. Whatever you want me to do. His whole life was this. Whatever you want from me, oh Allah, I am down. You want me to have to go through a pit of fire? I'm there. You want me to leave my family in the desert? I'm there. You want me to go and offer my son as a sacrifice to, to see if I'm, re- I'm there. I am there every single time. And this is what earns somebody the title of friend of Allah. We all want to be friends with Allah. But not all of us want to submit. Make that choice. We ask Allah Ta'ala to give us the strength. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us those who submit, not out of force, but we choose to submit to Allah. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us that when we have that moment of realization, that we make the right decision. We ask Allah Ta'ala to bless everyone here in this gathering with happiness, with health, with wealth, with iman. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us all those who are close to him and that can follow the example of his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Jazakum Allah khairan.
Barakallahu feekum everybody. Inshallah, we'll see you next Monday. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.